picture. You heard about the guy that got a parrot, and he got this parrot, and uh, the parrot and he would communicate, and the parrot found himself very, you know, and the guy found his parrot very disrespectful, uh, used bad language, a very stubborn parrot, and he was trying to work with this parrot, and finally he put the parrot in the freezer, and he heard some squawking and a little bit, and after a few minutes of putting the parrot in the freezer, he thought, well, this parrot's going to get hurt in here, and so he took the parrot out of the freezer, and uh, the parrot had changed. The parrot said, I am so sorry for my disrespect and my stubbornness and the things that I have said, and, uh, and he was wondering what the change was, and then the parrot uh, mentioned this. He said, oh, by the way, what did the turkey do? Sometimes we can find ourselves stubborn or working with people that are stubborn. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 and verse number 1, He that often being reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I want to look, as we've done for the past 13 weeks with regards to this series, I want to look first of all at the condition We'll look at three stories in the Word of God. I've given you all the scriptures that you need there, and I've only done this to help things move along, to help you follow along. I know sometimes when I listen to preaching and they take me to 16 passages of scripture, my, you know, my brain sometimes kind of loses track, and I don't want your brain to lose track, so I've given you the scriptures. And then we're going to find ourselves looking at the cure for stubbornness found in the book of Hebrews. I gave you that passage as well, and I gave you a little outline as well for that. And I trust that the Lord will use his word in our lives. Let's bow and ask the Lord to meet with us, and we're going to start in Exodus chapter number 5 and uh, looking at the story of Pharaoh. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for the privilege to love you and the privilege, Lord, to gather in your house and to sing praises to your name. Thank you for the truth of the word of God. Now, Lord, I ask that you would do whatever it is that you want to do here this morning in hearts and lives. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that does not know for sure their sins are forgiven and they're on their way to heaven, would today be that day? And Lord, for those of us that do, we ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts. And Lord, you'd help us in this matter of stubbornness. I pray that you would be glorified in everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. What does stubbornness look like? Exodus chapter number 5, God sends his messengers, Moses and Aaron, to Pharaoh. The Bible says in verse 1, And after, afterward Moses and Pharaoh went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Now look at your notes here. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Pharaoh says, I am Pharaoh. Pharaohs often thought themselves as gods. Who is this Lord, this God, that I should submit to him and that I should let him, my people, go. Now, you see this in the rest of this passage of Scripture. You see Pharaoh immediately uh, uh, digging his heels in as he makes it harder on the children of Israel. Verse 4, And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, 
Let the people from their works get you unto your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick. As heretofore, let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tale of the bricks which they did make heretofore, which shall, ye shall lay upon them, ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice unto their God. I'm going to make it harder on you, children of Israel. You must have a lot of time to be sitting around and crying out to your God. I'm going to make it harder on you. I'm going to remove the straw. I'm going to make things a little more difficult for you. You have to get your own, but you still need to make the same amount of bricks. Now, let me say this. The scripture does say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart after Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And you see that here in Exodus chapter 5. I gave you a couple other references where we see that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 15, the Bible says, When Pharaoh saw that there was no respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. In chapter 8 and verse 32, when Pharaoh hardened his heart. In chapter 9 and verse 34, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart he and his servants. I didn't put this in your notes, but let me just remind you concerning the ten plagues. Obviously, Pharaoh's hardening his heart resulted in God seeking to show himself strong in the face of the Egyptians' gods. If you take the plagues and you categorize them, you will see that the plagues uh, caused the, the Egyptians to face circumstantial challenges. We have the blood. We have the frogs. The water was turned to blood. The frogs, the lice, the flies. They faced physical challenges as they faced the discomfort of the pain with the boils. They faced material challenges with their wealth. Their beasts were diseased. The hail, of course, uh, destroyed their crops. The locusts ate and destroyed their crops as well. They faced emotional challenges. They faced fear. When you think concerning darkness and the darkness that was upon them for a number of days... When you think concerning sorrow over the loss of the firstborn, the firstborn of all of the families of Egypt was killed. You think concerning the, what they had to face because of the stubbornness of Pharaoh. I tell you this, stubbornness does not pay. God sent his messengers, let my people go. And you wonder how things might have been different had Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? I'm going to submit to the Lord, and I'm going to submit to what he wants. God has all power. There is nothing that God cannot do. And sometimes we will be like Pharaoh, and we will harden our hearts. I've talked to people concerning the need for Jesus as Savior. I've talked to people and said, do you know, uh, you can know for sure your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. Everybody wants to know that. 
We were out yesterday banging on doors, and I said to an individual, you know, you can know you're on your way to heaven. Isn't that the end result for everybody that would have some kind of a religious system? And the answer is always yes. Nobody wants to spend eternity in hell. But in order for someone to know for sure their sins are forgiven and they're on their way to heaven, they must place their dependence in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. They must quit depending upon self, humble themselves, and yield their will to what God has said. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But sometimes as Christian people, we can find ourselves stubborn in digging our heels into something that we know God says we ought to do. It does not pay for us to be stubborn. I'll take you to a second story in the Word of God, and that is the example of King Saul. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse number 25, Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord, And Samuel sent the people away, every man to his house. This scripture takes place at the coronation of King Saul. God had King Saul to be the first king of Israel. And it was seemed to be a happy day. And it seemed to be a, a wonderful thing in the eyes of the people. But we find ourselves at the beginning of Saul's reign. It was coronation and everyone was happy. Now I want to take you to the end of Saul's life. There in Samuel, the next passage of scripture you see there, 1 Samuel 31 and verse number 4. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. Hey, Saul, you're the one that God has chosen to be the first king of Israel. When he was little in his own eyes, he depended, it seems to be that he depended on God. We fast forward through Saul's life and we find him here in 1 Samuel committing suicide. And we ask ourselves this question. What happened with an individual that had all this potential to be what God wanted him to be? Why did he end up committing suicide? And there are a number of reasons that we could call to your attention here this morning, but one of those is stubbornness on his part. Do you know the difference between David and Saul was really a humility found in David that recognized, I have sinned. David's sins were worse than Saul's sins, but Saul made excuses and dug his heels in and refused to obey what God wanted him to do. The story is found in 1 Samuel 15. You see this. He was supposed to kill the Amalekites and all of the above. And the Bible says in verse 8, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, destroyed the people, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen. They disobeyed what God had told him to do. And Samuel comes to Saul, God's man comes to Saul to confront him. And he says, hey, and Saul says, hey, I've obeyed the Lord. And Samuel says, wait a minute, I hear some cattle. I hear, I, I see some people. And here's what Samuel says. 
1 Samuel 15. You see it there in your notes. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Now notice this. Notice what the scripture says here. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness, here's what the scripture says, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also hath rejected thee from being king. Now let me ask you this question here this morning. If you were to come over to my house this week and you say, well, I'm going over to the preacher's house. And um, I actually was out shopping uh, with my wife somewhere and I actually saw this. And so you come to my house and uh, I have here about yay high uh, a, a statue here. And I think it's a Buddha or something. has got the big belly here. And, and, uh, and I have that. And it was only like $800 or something like that. And uh, let's say I purchased it and I put it right there in my living room uh, next to the chair where I sit. And you come in to my house and I say, sit down, have a seat. Do you see my new, uh, my new toy, I guess I'd call it? Do you see my new piece of furniture? Uh, I would hope that you would, that the antennas would go up. I would hope that you would say, I have a problem here. <laughs> this is like a big problem. Like that is an idol And you ought not have an idol in your house. I hope that if you came to my house and and, uh, I had another friend there and I said, hey, this is my friend and my friend here is a witch. Uh, I would hope that you would say, oh, I have some problems here. Well, the Bible says this. The Bible says that rebellion or stubbornness in the heart is like iniquity, idolatry. And we think, hey, I would be against a statue, an idol in your house and in my house, and I hope you would. And we ought to be because the Bible's against it. We ought to be against somebody that would say, hey, I'm embracing uh, the religion of someone that is a witch. But yet when we think about it, we we need to have problems with that, and we do. But when we think about it, Samuel says to Saul, your stubbornness, the stubbornness in your heart is like idolatry. And sometimes we can lock our heels in, and we can lock ourselves, dig our heels in, and we can just have our position. And you know what? God is not pleased with stubbornness. It doesn't pay to be stubborn. We go in our Bibles to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. By the way, uh, there's much more that could be said about Saul Numbers 14 really is a summary, some summary passages concerning the children of Israel. I want you to see what God says. Obviously, in this passage of Scripture, they're outside the promised land. It was God's intent to take the children of Israel from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land. It was really not that far. It did not need to take 40 years. And in bringing God's people from Israel through the wilderness to the promised land... God wanted to show them his strength and show them what he could do. And he did. Ten times at least God demonstrated that he was God. And outside of the promised land, they send the spies in. And we know the story. We know the song, ten were bad and two were good. Two came out and said, we can take this land. Yes, there's giants in the land. Yes, there's some challenges. But our God is able 
Ten came out and said, this is nuts, this is crazy. Why did God bring us here? Why did God bring us here to kill us? And a rebellion ensues. There's a rebellion there, and they raise up, and they say, hey, we're going back to Egypt. That's what we're doing. And God steps in, and God intervenes, and God says this, verse 11 of Numbers 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? Verse 22, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Now this passage in Numbers is this passage we are going to refer to when we get to the book of Hebrews. But the reality is this, here's what God's saying. I've took them from Egypt to outside the promised land here, and I met their need when they whined about food, and when they whined about drink, and when they whined about being protected. I took care of them, and I met every need, and they still wouldn't believe me. They still, in their stubbornness, said, we're going to go back to Egypt. Let's get us a new leader and go back to Egypt. Boy, God gave us a will. Uh, One of the reasons I cannot embrace Calvinism, and that's another message, another discussion, is because God does not override the will of man. God gives us a will. He could have made us robots. If he made you a robot, you would do everything he said. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, that's what a robot does. But he didn't do that. Hey, who wants a robot to love them? Nobody. You want somebody to, of their own free will to choose to say, hey, I love you and, and I'm going to serve you and, and I'm going to depend upon you. The human will can be really stubborn. And a stubborn human will can cause issues in relationships because people are going to dig their heels in and I'm not going to do what the Bible says. I'm not going to do what I don't want to do. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. Even Christian people sometimes can respond this way. Hebrews chapter number 3. Hebrews chapter number 3, we find ourselves some wonderful truth uh, to help us. Hebrews chapter number 3, the scriptures reference what we just looked at there in the book of Numbers. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse number 7, the Bible says this. Actually, um, well, we won't. We'll just kind of go as we, we'll read a few as we go. Eventually we'll read all of this. Verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice... Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Hey, don't harden your hearts. Uh, we see in, 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 uh, in verse number 16, For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Number one cure is this. Number one cure is to listen. To listen. The Bible says here in verse 7, 
today, if you will hear his voice, the Bible says in the verse I just read, for some, when they had heard, did provoke. When they had heard. If you'll go back, we won't take the time. I actually want you to turn to Psalm 95. Psalm 95, it's not in your notes. If you'll go back to Exodus 3, we don't need to go there this morning. I'll summarize in Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 8. God said, I will give you the land of Canaan. In Psalm 95, the psalmist reminds us of what happened in the passage we read in Numbers 14. But the psalmist says this. Verse 8 says this, harden not your heart as in the provocation. Let's get a running start and see what the scripture says before that. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is great, is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the sheep of his pasture. And then, and the sheep of his hand today, if ye will hear his voice. Think about what the word of God says about God. Why would I, when I understand what the truth of the word of God says about God, why would I dig my heels in and not do what God wants? The psalmist here says God is sovereign. The psalm communicates God's in control. The psalm communicates that God is good. This psalm communicates that God is the only God. And as God's people, the children of Israel, interacted with God through Moses' servant, they were given communication about God that is good, that communicates to, uh, to, to them about God, that God is in control, and that God is sovereign. And it starts... Our stubbornness, it starts when we fail to realize who God is and what God does. I'm amazed when somebody would say, I want to go to heaven. I want to know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. And they would not yield to the truth of what God says. God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God died, Jesus died for all of mankind. And if you understand that God, the thoughts that he thinks about you and I are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give us an expected end, why would we not submit to the God of the universe that loves us and cares for us? Listen. Number two, go back to Hebrews chapter 3. And we read here, actually, i got to find it here, Hebrews chapter 3. And we read here in verse 8, the admonition to harden not your hearts. Look at verse 10. 
Oh, you probably don't have the verse markers. I apologize for that. Slide down to find the word wherefore the second time. Uh, you find the word wherefore. I was grieved with that generation and said, did you always err in their heart and they have not known my ways? Our, our, our second cure is not just listen, it's learn. What are we learning? We're learning from those in the past. I swear in my wrath, verse 11, that they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. We'll get there in a minute in departing from the living God. But exhort one another today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 15, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation for someone they had heard did provoke. Howbeit all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but was with whom was he grieved 40 years? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things happen unto them for ensamples is the word used. It really means examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Do you know the stories in the word of God, Brother Tim? Do you know that the stories in the word of God, Brother Tim, are written for our examples? God gave us these stories. And in Hebrews chapter number 3, the author is saying this. You need to learn from the stories of the past. Here were God's people where God provided and provided and provided and provided. And they provoked him by complaining. And they dug their heels in and they were stubborn. And they wandered in the wilderness and many if they were 20 and older, didn't even get in to see the promised land. But that was God's intent. God's intent was to bring them to this place where they could experience victory. And do you know what? Many of God's people find ourselves wandering and find ourselves not fulfilling all that God wants for us and experiencing life to the fullest because we dig our heels in, just like the children of Israel did. And God says, hey, you need to learn from the past, that stubbornness does not pay. And you look at Psalm 95, I don't know if you're still there, but if you're not, just listen. Harden not your heart, verse 8, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation. It said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest they're not going to experience all that I had for them to experience the will of God is good and perfect and acceptable and God wants us to experience life to the fullest but if we dig our heels in we don't learn from what happened in the past we're never going to experience it hell is going to be full of individuals that had good intents Good intents. Maybe good people. But they refuse to trust Christ as personal Savior. That's not God's fault. It's the stubbornness of the human will. God wants to use us in a great way to make a difference. And many Christians will leave this planet with very little to show for God. That's not God's fault. That's our fault. Those that dig our heels in. Say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I want you to see number three, and we'll be finished. Number one is listen. We're going back to Hebrews uh, chapter three. Number two is learn. 
Number three is let go. If you look at Hebrews chapter three, you'll see there's two issues addressed here when it comes to what we need to let go of. Number one, we need to let go of unbelief. We need to believe God. Look at verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil, uh, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The Bible says in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and hear this now, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When you got saved, the Bible says, we walk by faith and not by sight. We take steps of faith in the Christian life based on what? The truth of the word of God. And sometimes we take a step of faith not knowing the outcome, but we do it because we're going to believe that God is and that God will do what God says he will do. You see, our issue is unbelief. The reason why sometimes we lock down and we hold tight and say, I'm not moving, and we refuse to obey what God tells us to do is because we don't believe that if I do this, it's going to work out. And God says, trust me, I've never failed anybody yet. We need to also let go of, of sin. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is caused today. And they're both tied, our unbelief and the sin aspect are tied together. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. By the way, verse 13, but exhort one another daily. Uh, we got to help one another to stay on track. Sometimes we think we need something to meet a need in our life and that something the we, we could be deceived the deceitfulness of sin we say i need this even though god says maybe i don't I, I say i need this and we can find ourselves being deceived by the things that we think we need that god hasn't given us and we think we need them anyway i think i mean there's, there's a lot of illustrations that we could use here but think about the children of Israel. They're out in the, in the wilderness. Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments. And they say to Aaron, hey, make us a calf. Make us. And he, he may fashion this calf. And they find themselves deceived. And, and I mean, it's a mess. It's a, it's a mess of a situation there in Numbers. And God comes in, or Exodus, excuse me. And God comes in and, and God judges. You know, we can. Let's think about Jonah. How'd you like for God to, to, you know, we want to be, if you're saved here this morning, there's got to be something in that heart that says, I, I want to be used of God. I want to be where God is at work, and I, I want to be used of God in a, in a great way. And that was the case for Jonah. I said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah knew God. And Jonah knew he was prejudiced toward the Ninevites. And Jonah knew that if I go to Nineveh and I preach, they're gonna, God's going to have mercy on them, and he might save them. 
And I don't want that. So he goes the opposite direction. He digs his heels in. God could have sent the whale, and we read in the scriptures, and the whale chewed him up into pieces. The end. Right? But God's merciful. He digs his heels in. And he goes to Nineveh, and God does a work, and he's still whining at the end of the block. <laughs> Why? Stubbornness. Deceived by the sinfulness of his own heart. To think that we could be used of God in a great way and lock our heels down. Can I tell you something? God wants to use you to see people saved. You see me? Pastor, I've only been saved for a short while. God wants to use you to see people saved. When you get to heaven, God wants you to meet people that you've led to Christ and people to say, hey, thank you for giving me the gospel. He wants to use you to see people saved. He does. Look, God wants to use you to make a difference. God could want to use you to be a channel of revival in Victory Baptist Church, just like he used Jonah, or he wanted to use Jonah. And you know what the problem is? The reason why we won't see people saved is because we're going to dig our heels in. We're going to lock ourselves in sometimes. We're going to say, yeah. I know I need to do this, but I'm not. I'm going to talk to that guy, but I'm not. I know I need to. I remember hearing a message once, and I'll be finished. I'm going a little longer. I have an illustration. We'll have prayer. I remember hearing a message once that Harold Vaughn, who was here in the spring, preached years ago at a church. The message was this, willing but not yet obedient. I thought, well, this is kind of an interesting message. Okay, people are willing, but they haven't obeyed God yet. And the whole point of the message was this. There are areas where you're willing, say, well, I'm kind of willing to get this right, but you haven't obeyed yet. I'm willing to go soul winning, but you haven't gone. I'm willing to give the God. I'm willing to, but you haven't done it. You know what? I was amazed, and I learned something from that message. I learned that sometimes we know what we're supposed to do, but we haven't done it yet for some reason when lots of people came forward. And I thought, wow, we dig our heels in. And it doesn't pay to be stubborn. It really doesn't. Judson Van Deventer was raised on a farm in the 1800s, 18 to 19s, near Dundee, Michigan. After graduating from Hillsdale College, he taught in public schools in Sharon, Pennsylvania. Van Deventer was active as a layman in his Methodist Episcopal Church, saved, included participation in revivals at the church. Based on his fervent faith and service to the church, friends encouraged him to leave his field of teaching and become an evangelist. It took five years for him to finally surrender all and follow the advice of his friends. When he did finally surrender all, this was his account. The song, I Surrender All, was written while I was conducting a meeting in East Palestine, Ohio, in the home of George Sebring. For some time, I had struggled between developing my talents in the field of art and going into full-time evangelistic work. At last, the pivotal hour of my life came, and I surrendered all. A new day was ushered into my life. I became an evangelist and discovered down deep in my soul a talent hitherto unknown to me. God had hidden a song in my heart. And touching a tender chord, he caused me to sing and write 
All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. It doesn't pay to be stubborn. My relationship with him and my relationship with other people. Let's let God have his way. Lord, we love you this morning.